The production of Conversations That Matter with Stuart McNish is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, and listeners and viewers like you. Please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a patron. Eight people in BC will die today from a drug overdose. Eight people yesterday, eight the day before, eight the day before that, and so on. On March 22nd, BC's Emergency Health Service responded to 205 overdose poisoning patients. A new provincial record, says Troy Clifford, the provincial president of the Ambulance Paramedics and Emergency Dispatchers of BC. He continues, on April 2nd, BC EHS experienced the 19th consecutive day in a row where his members attended to more than 100 overdose calls. It's taking a toll on the system and putting paramedics at risk. Every single one of those calls for assistance brings with it tremendous risk to paramedics, Clifford says. We're first responders who encounter and adapt to a wide range of on-scene hazards at every single overdose call. Paramedics, in addition to being medical professionals, need to be highly attuned to apparent and hidden threats, employ exceptional interpersonal skills and assertiveness in order to protect themselves. The working conditions are challenging, says Clifford. Paramedics face two types of hazards, immediate ones like uncapped needles aggress and aggressive patients. Then there are the even more worrying ones like weapons, aggressive bystanders, and the threats associated with working in confined spaces, all of which undermine a paramedic's ability to be and feel safe. I invited, invited Troy Clifford, the provincial president of the Ambulance Paramedics and Emergency Dispatchers of BC to join me for a conversation that matters about the relentless toll drug poisoning is having on patients, the system, and paramedics. Troy? I'd like to say welcome, but that's a pretty daunting introduction. Yeah, it just, I, you know, it really hits home when you open up like that and just have that conversation of the reality of what we're all facing. This is not isolated to one um, component of society, and it's not getting better. That's what clearly the numbers are showing. And, you know, when we're seeing eight people a day dying in this province, that's uh, eight loved ones, that's somebody's child, that's somebody's coach. All, Everybody, I don't think anybody in this province or, you know, the world can say that they haven't been affected in some way by the opiate crisis or know somebody. Uh, it's a reality and it's not, I think the key thing to know is that the uh, stigma that goes with addiction and mental health is not just the downtown east side. We're seeing it in every corner of this province, homes. Um, it, it's not isolated to that high profile uh, side of society. You know, we also have to take a look at what's the toll of seeing this relentless mm -hmm. um, onslaught of, of, of an issue that is getting worse. It's not getting yeah. better. And what is the emotional and psychological impact on your members? Absolutely. It's uh, that feeling that it's not getting better, um, that you can't do what you're... We're there to help people. And, and you know, without the ability to really do that on day, the repetitive, pull, it, any of the repetitive thing. We know that getting into this profession comes with some 
you know, challenges. It's definitely hard on, you know, you can't do this for the amount of time that we do it or any period of time, I believe, without having some impacts on your psych or your psychological well-being. Uh, when you see repetitive situations like that, that continued cumulative stress, that takes a toll incredibly. And we know the evidence says this. We, we have over 30% of our paramedics and dispatchers off with psychological injuries or in treatment through our critical incident stress program. So we know from WorkSafe BC and others that's the most, we're the highest profession in BC that, as far as claims and that. So, it's, so that, that's higher than police officers oh, or absolutely. firefighters. We're the top of all. And that's not a, I'm not proud to say that. But that really emphasizes how much the job is taking its toll. And a big component of that is the, obviously the mental health and addiction. They go hand in hand because, you know, I think that, well, I think the evidence says that, uh, you know, addiction is a result to some sort of trauma or situation that people have had in their lives. It's not, people don't go looking to be addicted or have these challenges. It's a, it's a result of circumstances, trauma, history, um, not opportunity, but circumstances, so, so many things that, uh, you know, we're seeing in society and we're not doing better. So we have to do better with that. I want to know a little bit more about what can be done to be uh, providing uh, paramedics, those first responders who are so important to us, uh, with the tools that they need to be able to deal with this. Because what you're talking about are PTSD-inducing moments. Yeah. You know, the average person might experience four in a lifetime paramedics will experience that in a month. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's uh, why recently in the last, a few years ago, the provincial government uh, made psychological injuries in, in paramedics and first responders presumptive legislation under WorkSafe. So no longer do you have to, it's presumed if we get a psychological injury, PTSD if you wish, um, as a result of our, in, in the work we do, it's presumed that it's a result of our work. So we no longer, have, the reverse used to be the case before it was presumptive, a little bit like fire with cancer, right? So it's presumed that if you're a firefighter and have cancer, then in, and that's where the presumptive legislation comes from. That was a big change in BC. So since then, we've been doing a lot of supports and we have a very good critical incidence death program. We have psychological supports um, and we've been able to put those measures in place and access to psychologists and professionals to help us with that. But that's post-injury. One of the things we need to do is really set people up pre-injury, pre-employment, so they know what they're getting in. They have the preventative maintenance, if you wish. Uh, uh, you know, it's a little bit like going to the gym. If you, if you work out in the gym and, and get healthy, you're going to be able to physically do things. No different than physical and mental injuries are still injuries. And it just, and right. until we change that stigma that mental health is not the same. If I break my arm, nobody questions. Mm -hmm. But if I break my brain, to be rudimentary or, or to lay, um, there's always, there's still a stigma about it. You know, for instance, it's not even part of medical, mm -hmm. right? So you, you can't go to a psychologist without a referral where, you know, the psychologists and the psychiatrists have been saying it should be part of, it's just another part of your body that's injured. Until we can get over that stigma, I think it's going to continue to see these things with, you know, it's just an addict and those right. horrible things that we're seeing. I got to get you to hang on for a second while we take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a patron. It's thanks to listeners and viewers and the ongoing support of Audlin Brown and BD Developments that the production of this program is possible. So when one of your members uh, asks for this 
put their hand up and say, I need help. I need help. Um, or they take a knee like a football player would, uh, mm -hmm. saying, I'm, I'm injured, I need, I, need, I need some help. What's the process to help them? What are the resources that are in place? So there's a couple of ways that can happen. That's assuming they, they, so we have what's called triggers. So we have a, obvious calls that, uh, so our critical incident stress management program, it's a peer debriefer program that uh, is immediate response and we've had that in place since the 80s. Um, it's evolved to be a more formalized program. And what it is, is we have peers all over the province that are the first line. So you can access it yourself, your supervisor can access, the dispatch can access it, and they call our 1-800 number for peer debriefing, say, Troy's had a bad call. You know, we don't need to describe what that call is. Whatever, whatever it is, we think you should check in on them. Mm -hmm. If it's really bad, they'll take you off and, and deal with an immediate debriefing. Um, but so that those peer debriefers check in. And if needed, they'll be referred to a psychologist or through our critic and then said, tiered up to that. Um, and so that's one way it can, it's accessed. Somebody identifies somebody needing help. The other one is if you become cumulative and it's not a result of an acute incident, a bad call for instance, then you can still reach out to that and you'll get the referrals to the psychologist through, through that, that critical incident death program. So there's, a, there's also a third link that was recently added with our negotiations with government uh, going back and forth after the July um, 2021 when the heat dome, the commitment to family supports because we know the work we're doing is injuring our families psychologically. We're taking that home. Yeah. And so they've a, that same process can access supports for your family and loved ones. So those are the, that's the primary stuff. There's also through WorkSafe BC, because it's a work-related injury, you can, in parallel to that, you can go through WorkSafe BC and get, get the same supports in there. And then the third link is through your GP and get referrals through. Um, so there are three channels. The two work ones, obviously, if they're work-related, are, are key. But uh, if you may need more than just... Um, referrals for that. So that's your third route. Well, the risks are uh, depression, mm -hmm. uh, drug and alcohol consumption come with to it. deal with it, uh, and even self-harm. Yeah. Um, and, and so are you seeing the manifestation, manifestation of all of those in your members who, you know, are injured by what they're experiencing? Absolutely. And, you know, we know, we know that. We know that our members are affected. Addiction is not uh, unique. It doesn't spare anybody. And when you have these significant stressors, pressures, um, people use outlets. And as well known, first responders and paramedics, you know, they uh, work hard, they have a lot of stress, and uh, whether it's right or wrong, um, they have to have outlets to get rid of that. And that turns to, in some cases, alcohol, drugs, um, you know, they can't handle their pressures very well. They may, may hopefully not get to the point where they're self-harming in that. But we've had a number of suicides um, over the years, and really, and, yeah, and it it uh, it's tragic. Like, so we're doing pretty good job post-injury for our current members and people working or off result for workplace. But we have a lot of retirees that were pre-presumptive legislation that are very damaged, mm -hmm. and they have nothing for them. So they're let loose from the career that they've given their lives to. Pre, like we've got a long way to stigma in that now, where people will take a knee and put their hand up. Those guys were just like a lot of the pioneers, and I say guys because in the 70s and 80s it was a very male-dominated workforce. We're not that way anymore. We're probably over 
50, 60% female. And it was suck it up guys, that's the way it is. That tough call, just get back on the horse. And that's the mentality and that's changed a lot but we're not over that totally. So when somebody uh, is you know, afflicted because of what they have experienced, how do you get them back to work? Because we need them to come back to work, but we don't want them to be injured again. So, you know, it, it, it's a really good question because, I mean, they're smarter people than me, the doctors and that. So that's really, it's got to be a return to work program. You got to be your assessments and your clearance for medical clearance. Uh, it's not as easy with psychological injuries. And your work you're coming back, it's the same job that triggered you to be off. So yeah. there's a lot of people, I won't say a lot, but there's a significant amount of people that can't come back to this job. So they need to be retrained or they go into another lighter duty, like we have a transfer fleet, we have other areas, but it's still potentially, so you got to risk those exposures. So how do you integrate them back? They need to be cured, whether, right. it, whether it's a broken arm or a mental psychological injury. They got to be healthy and the professionals need to get you back to a place. So that's where resilience and training, um, and the proper supports through a psychologist, recognizing what's got you there and how you can manage it better in the future so that you recognize the triggers so you don't get yourself into that place where you're hitting. So there are a lot of experts that do that. Sometimes people just are so damaged they can't come back to the same job and that's really important that we support them and train them to get retrained or support them as they move on. This is our second break. We'll be back in a moment. Please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a patron. It's thanks to listeners and viewers and the ongoing support of Audlin Brown and BD Developments that the production of this program is possible. So in my introduction, I talked about the risks that uh, so frequently a paramedic as a first responder can face that puts them mm -hmm. uh, physically at risk, yeah. which then puts them on edge. And yet they're also dealing with a very real medical condition. Like, how bad is it that when you go into some of those situations, what's it like for a paramedic, you know, showing up in a small space where there's uncapped needles and so on? Yeah, you know, it, it's tough. So, you know, we're taught right from day one when we start in our career. If you, to protect, do risk assessment, determine. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes that doesn't alleviate or eliminate the potential for, the risk is always there. So you're on your toes, regardless of whether you're going into a residence, whether you're going to a car accident, you're doing a dash assessment as you're approaching a scene. Where's my exit? Where's my, you know, you don't want to be backed into a corner and, and that could, volatile situations can go escalate really quickly. And even we, when you're there to help. Yeah, and <laughs> we're fortunate most situations where people recognize us as safe, we're there to help. That's why, you know, but there are situations where it's not. We've seen a rise of violence against paramedics and, and uniformed personnel over the last couple years, but particularly over the last month, you know, six months when you talk about 10 police officers dying in the line of duty, um, those are uniformed personnel. And we've seen, you know, recently um, in Terrace where they, or Smithers I think it was, where they uh, burnt a bunch of police cars and an ambulance. Uh, trail where that per psychiatric patient left the hospital that had been transported by paramedic and shot up the ambulance station. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. But uh, those are things downtown east side where the pellet gun on Main Street in Main and Hastings, where somebody was shooting out the window at paramedics working on a patient in the alley there. 
Um, so the violence and every call you go to, there's a potential for risk. Uh, so we know that the, the, that is on it. You know, we had challenges with some of the, t you know, Strathcona Park and some of these uh, volatile situations. Those are very dangerous situations to go into as uniformed personnel. Well, and you don't want to be in a position where you're saying, okay, well, we're not going to attend to that person until the police are on scene. Yeah. Because some, many times you're there before the police, mm -hmm. and so that's when you're at risk. But if you hold off and wait, well, then the patient's uh, well-being diminishes yeah. uh, rapidly. So that's where our medical call takers assess it, and they do a very good job of triaging whether there's a risk to paramedics, and we won't even go near the scene. It's called a wait for the police to secure the scene. There, we know that there's situations where the public safety is needed to have police. There's a lot of situations where having, where it's a regular, I don't want to say regular overdose, but an overdose that doesn't require it, there's no safety issue. So anytime you can uh, avoid having uh, anything that escalates the, the situation, and sometimes having a peace officer there may escalate, but you have to absolutely err on the side of caution. You know, you look at the tragic situation in Burnaby where that was just a wellness check. Uh, where we lost a member. Lost their life. Yeah, right? and the paramedic yeah. were there. Yeah. Right? So, you know what, you never know what call, so you always have to be on your vigilance. Um, and that's why, you know, we try and really, and so, you know what, like that was just a tragic situation. Somebody, they, the police, the RCMP member and the paramedics and all the people were just trying to help somebody, just a wellness check. And that happens. We do them every day. Yeah. So anytime you can avoid or minimize the, any risk or, or escalation of things, and that's where paramedics are trained to do. Police are trained in it. But we need more training. We need more supports. And I can talk about what the solutions are for some of these from a paramedic perspective. There's lots of uh, ways that, you know, these mental health teams mm -hmm. and these community response teams. We have the community paramedic program. So we're not, I, I met with the Premier uh, um, a couple weeks ago. And I advocated for, so these community emergency response teams where you have a psychiatric nurse and a police officer or a law enforcement or public safety officer, paramedics are going to all these overdoses, these mental health calls. They're not part of that conversation to be part of those teams. So the key component you're missing from that component is the assessment and treatment part. Mm -hmm. And we're not part of that conversation. And you shake your head, and I've met with over 100 municipal governments in this province, and they're like, why are you not part of this? And we already have a community paramedic program in rural BC. That program in non-traditional ambulances and SUV needs to be expanded to the metro and urban center so that we can support. And then what that does is frees up ambulances for people that may not need an ambulance. We can get them the right help. So we're talking about getting people the right help and referrals Huh. in the communities and we're assessing them and treating them it goes to not just addiction and mental health palliative patient people that don't have a gp that just and these are all people with medical conditions third and final break we'll be right back please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a patron it's thanks to listeners and viewers and the ongoing support of Audlin brown and bd developments that the production of this program is possible well, you bring up an important point. It's one that I haven't understood. That community paramedic program is kind of like a uh, doctor on call or doctor going and doing house calls that are preventative or they're ahead of the, the crisis, but we're not doing it in the city. And yeah. As you point out, it could play a very important role. It, absolutely. And, you know, out of Ontario, there's a lot of evidence that these, these type of programs, community paramedic program, 
can be cost neutral or save money into the system. Because if you can alleviate, you know, they, depending on who you talk to, 30% of the ambulances probably don't need an ambulance, but they're the default. People don't have a GP, they, for whatever reason, need to so call an ambulance. And so we take them to the emergency department. We know that anybody having a mental health or an overdose situation may not need to be in an emergency unless there's acute intervention or acute crisis, but they don't have a choice. So if these community paramedics with these response teams can go there, assess, determine if they need to go to an alternate pathway or to the emergency department. So what that does, it doesn't tie up ambulances unnecessarily, frees up resources. It also doesn't tie up your emergency departments where somebody doesn't need to be, they, maybe they can go right to directly to a, an assessment or a, an alternate site. So, you know, and of course, that's where this assessment could be done. You know, they're not to replace community health, they're not to replace nursing, they're not to replace the other healthcare professionals, doctors and all that sort of thing. But a lot of communities, that's the only, the parent, community paramedics or the paramedics are their only primary health care to get them to the hospitals. So that's where they fit into this system. And we know it works. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I believe it could be cost neutral or maybe even save the system money. Well, yeah, because instead of uh, like lights and uh, sirens screaming, you're getting there ahead of the crisis and reducing the urgency and making better and they can do choices well. and decisions. And yeah. they can do wellness checks in the community. They're out there, whether they're in a, a community policing station or out in the community. They can do those things and, and, and help alleviate the need. And, and I think that really is a key to... What we've been doing hasn't worked, so we need to look at these things. And that's what I heard from every mayor and council and local government in this province. What we've been doing hasn't worked. It was a key issue in local government, turned over a lot of governments, the last one. Um, mm -hmm. Public safety issues and responses, homelessness, all these sorts of things. So I think that this government's done a good job of, of recognizing that and uh, investing in some, but we have some pilot, perfect community that it would be pilot. Obviously Vancouver, Surrey, yeah. um, I've talked to Maple Ridge, Nanaimo and Kamloops and Penticton are communities that are really interested in these programs that have the will by the community, the supports are there and uh, so I'm hoping with when I reach out to everybody and keep this conversation going, uh, is it is a conversation to matter to plug your your and I think everybody recognizes and then when I say why aren't paramedics part of this conversation, they can be part of the solution. And people are like, that makes sense. Well, I'm And that's why I'm lobbying for it. <laughs> right. Well, I'm thankful for the work that you do, and I believe that it's an important conversation for us to continue to have. Thanks for coming and scratching the surface on this topic, which is deep and complex. I know that it's going to take a long time for us to find solutions to this very, very challenging uh, issue that we're all facing right now. Please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a patron. It's thanks to listeners and viewers and the ongoing support of Audlin Brown and BD Developments that the production of this program is possible.